Hello and welcome. This is the second episode of our podcast, Cold Coffee and Crime Cases. We are now with the rest of the team and my name is Laura. My favorite drink is an iced coconut latte and I got into true crime with the Black Dahlia case. Okay, I'm Caitlin. My favorite drink is an iced vanilla latte and I got into true crime probably from the Paul Bernardo and Carla Holoco cases in Canada. Hi, my name's Annabelle. My coffee order is an oat ice latte and I got into true crime by watching loads of true crime Netflix documentaries. Today's episode is about a really shameless and horrified case and it's what happened in 1692 in a small Massachusetts town called Salem and it's definitely what you thought about about the Salem witch trials. And because not everyone knows a lot of context about it, Annabelle, can you give us the context of the trials? So today we think of witches as completely fictional, you know, they belong in the storybooks for us. But between early 1692 and mid-1693, um, the people of colonial Massachusetts, they believed witchcraft to be true. And more than 200 people were accused of practicing what was called the devil's magic. So they basically believed that people could be possessed by the devil. So as you can imagine, there was a lot of hysteria, lots of paranoia at the time in Salem Village. There already was due to a lot of political vulnerability at the time, which led to court trials being held for those accused of witchcraft. And those who were found guilty were in the end executed. And in the end, 30 people were found guilty and the total number of executions was 20, which is actually quite a lot of people to be killed by, you know, sensational accusations. For sure, it's like a mass murder by the government. Mm -hmm. But it's quite important that actually the victims received compensation more than 20 years after. Almost 20 years, 19, I think. Mm -hmm. You need justice. Yeah, they needed justice, but which they didn't receive. And it was 20 years after that their families had this relief that their closest ones were innocent. So that's why we're getting into the trials, because these were victims that were accused and actually not killed by serial killers, like last time with Jack Ripper episode. This is another case, and we thought it would be interesting in terms of history related also. So now let's go with Annabelle and the first victim. So one of the executed was Bridget Bishop. So she was also one of the first victims of the Salem Witch Trials. So has anyone heard of her? Has anyone heard her name? Yes, only because of reading The Crucible in school. Yep, she was one of the main characters in The Crucible as well by Arthur Miller. So she was born in 1632 in Norwich. So she was actually born in England. There's not much to be found on her early life, but she was married three times. You know, each one played a really significant part in her life. So her first husband was called Captain Samuel Wesselby, and they got married in 1660 in Norwich, so she was still in England at that time. And from that marriage, she had two sons and one daughter. And her first husband died six years later in 1666, and she married her second husband in the same year. She's fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she moved oh already fast. His name was Thomas Oliver, and they had a daughter together called Crestium. So she had three children at that point. And her second marriage was very pivotal in her life as it sparked the witchcraft suspicions, as Bridget was accused of bewitching Thomas Oliver to death. 
So, you know, that's her second husband who's died. Mm -hmm. So I think people are starting to realize a pattern here. When did that happen? Like, was it before the year of the trials or was it the year of the trials? And this was before the Uh trials. So obviously there was still a lot of paranoia Mm -hmm. before, if you could say. However, she was acquitted for lack of evidence and she got off the hook on that instance. But later on, obviously, she didn't. And finally, her third marriage was to Edward Bishop. So that's where she got her last name from. His family lived in Beverly, Massachusetts, and they married in 1687. And he was one of the founders of the First Church of Beverly, which is a famous parish church in Massachusetts. And it's still around today. Together, they ran two taverns. And something interesting was that they were both seen by friends and family, like wearing exotic clothes and bright colours, which like obviously yeah, is really like, far. Wasn't common. Yeah, it's also far from the standard clothes associated Mm. with the devil. So contradictingly, she was accused when the Salem witch trials began in 1692 of, quote, like sundry acts of witchcraft. And she was accused of bewitching five women, including famous names. You probably heard of them, such as Abigail Williams Mm -hmm. and Putnam. Of course, we have heard of them. (laughs) We have read and watched the movie. We know their crucial role in all of this. Yeah, Yeah, also characters in The Crucible. Mm -hmm. And they all accused her of giving them a mysterious illness. And something that's really interesting was that her own neighbours and family members also accused her of attacking them, killing children, making pets disappear, sending bewitched animals to their homes. So, you know, these are really extreme accusations to be made, especially by her family and friends. So if her own family and friends were accusing her, they must have seen some truth in it. So her trial lasted for eight days and many people protested against her. One local woman said that when Bridget tore her coat, the woman's coat was torn in the exact same spot. And another local man accused Bishop of bewitching his child. But throughout the whole trial, Bridget did maintain her innocence. She actually said, I am innocent to a witch. But obviously this wasn't enough to save her. And she was the first woman to be executed in the Salem hysteria. And this was on June 10th, 1692. So it was really like a matter of days to decide whether someone was going to be killed over sensation accusations. Yeah, you know? I feel like it was just such a lack of like evidence as well. Like it was yeah. just like, oh, I saw that. Like that's not like hard evidence. So she was hung from an oak tree and the whole town, including her family and friends, are reported to have been relieved. And they said that Bridget would trouble them no more. So literally her friends and family said that. Oh my God. I believe that it's awful that... It's your word against all of the village. And I actually don't understand, like, it was about, like, local religious context. There were a lot of conflicts and problems. We see women that have moved from England to the colonial Massachusetts. And then we see, like, women getting killed, Mm. mostly. There were cases in which there were men, but I don't get, like, why the women should have suffered. Because they're witches. Yeah, witches are supposed Mm. to be female, but I don't get that. I think people just really associated witchcraft with women back in the time. There were six men who were killed from the witchcraft accusations, but obviously the majority of them were women. Yeah. Mm. I feel like just because women are maybe like, we're seen as more like hysterical, like more like emotional. Maybe that's what brought, oh, you're showing all these emotions, you're a witch, like that kind of thing. A lot more paranoid as well. And at that time, it's important to know that women didn't have rights. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it was, I believe, a lot easier to accuse a woman Mm -hmm. of being a witch or 
committing a crime because her words were not taken that seriously. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also the Salem government was run by men. They were more quick to jump and on women. also there were a lot of cases in which daughters or women were like forced to say someone is a witch. Mm. And that's yeah. because like we see this male dominance, yeah, yeah. which has been present until 19... 19- still in some 20 <laughs> or something yeah and it still is present still but in different ways yeah yeah so do you think she was unfairly convicted in the end bridget bishop i don't know it's hard because it's hard. like her family was against her they must have like, seen some truth in it if like why would your family turn against you you know and all of her friends like she must have felt so alone at the time that yeah. she died when you look at the crucible even the book or the movie, we are obligated to think that the girls who accused them were in the wrong and they mm. did like make all of the Salem town hysterical and suffer. But however, yeah, th- it should have been like some kind of characteristics, but I believe that that came again with the colonial rule because there was a European hysteria before what happened in Salem. And I think that when immigrants came to Massachusetts, it became like more evident that they can bring uh, the actual witchcraft into mm. the USA. Mm. So I believe that was it. However, I, I yeah, believe I there are coincidences know. and maybe the women actually killed them, but not with spells. <laughs> yeah, I uh, think like, like killed farm animals and stuff like that or hurt the girls. But I don't believe in the way that the spirit came and did something to you and that they signed the devil's book and the devil is inside of them. I don't believe in that mm. stuff. They were so really religious at the time. Yeah. So that's probably why they you know, believed in the devil a bit more the devil could possess you know people in the town especially Mm. as you said Bridget Bishop wasn't from Massachusetts they didn't really know who she was they didn't really know what family she'd come from so they were probably quick to not trust her as well yeah I feel like a lot of them came over from England I guess that's why it's called New England now oh is that why it's called yeah I literally googled it because I was like oh maybe that's why because it's like in Massachusetts area yeah same I was thinking about that too but Salem is actually really really close to Boston a main city and if you think about it if there were witches there it could have spread if you look at now the location is like the suburbs of Boston like imagine here like London I don't know that's why Mm. like I kind of think that this community just went like crazy if it wasn't spreading like in boston or any other areas it was just mass hysteria yeah so let's get to my first victim so on july 19 there were several women that were executed and one of them was sarah good and also there was another one which we won't mention in the podcast uh she's called sarah osborne Mm -hmm. it's important to mention her but however we decided to focus on one of the sarahs so she's one of the victims in the salem witch trials and she was executed on july 19 she was hanged there were nicknames like goody good sarah pool so let's talk about her life now so sarah's father was called john solard and he committed suicide actually back in 1972 and he drowned himself that's really sad yeah tragic sad family story unfortunately However, his estate was divided among his two eldest sons and his widowed wife. But the mother had control over the assets until they were of age. A small portion was assigned to be given to all of his seven daughters, actually. One of which was Sarah, so he had like nine kids. And the majority of the land was divided by his two eldest sons. 
-hmm. and the girls received only a small proportion so you can see like the equality mm -hmm. at that time but the mother remarried and it turned out that most of the daughters didn't receive at all any inheritance as little as it was yeah and sarah was one of them so sarah good married daniel He was an indentured servant and he passed away in 1682. The thing was that when he passed away, the only thing he left Sarah with was debt. So her second husband was called William Good. That's where she received her name. He was a weaver. That means a person that binds fiber together. The couple was responsible for paying all of the debt from the previous marriage of Sarah. And they were forced to sell their whole land because they couldn't keep up with what the credits were. They couldn't, like, pay them. So the family was left homeless. Sarah was begging for work, for food, for security. She tried even to get help from neighbors and friends. So she wandered and begged even friends for work. But when people closed the door in front of her face, she cursed those who didn't respond to her pain and suffrage. Mm. And these curses would actually support the trial in 1692. I mean, that's normal. If someone did that to me, I'd be, like, mad. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, yeah. From a person who had a roof over their head, mm -hmm. now you became this homeless person that doesn't have any kind of emotional, physical support. So... Because she cursed her neighbors and residents in Salem, she received quite the angry responses against her in the trials, and at least seven people actually testified against her because of the cursing. So that's quite a lot of people, seven people for cursing, mm -hmm. yeah. So William was also partly responsible for the accusations. Uh, William is the husband. As he didn't save, his wife is a witch, but he testified that she had a mole on her back, oh which God. was actually seen as a mark of witches. Her own husband said that. Yes, her own husband. That's like crazy, like, oh, you have a mole, you're a witch. Can't like, trust yeah. anyone, it seems. <laughs> The big awful surprise is that William and Sarah had a daughter, Dorothy. She was called also Dorcas Good. She was four or five at the time of the trial. And the daughter was actually arrested. What? She's four years old. She's arrested. And she was arrested on 24th of March. And the saddest part is that Dorothy's confession that her mother was a witch was what implicated her trial the most. So her daughter was the one who put her in that situation also. And this was actually a forced testimony that resulted in goods hanging. So basically a four-year-old is not like hard to manipulate that mm. kid. And she testified against her mother. And in the trial, Sarah was described as an object for compassion rather than punishment, actually. And one of the worst things was that there was nothing that would have changed the fate of good. And she was seen as guilty from the start. There was nothing that can mm. be changed. Like the prejudice was more than the actual evidence against her. So the proceedings were described as shameful to the highest degree. One of the inflicted girls cried out actually that she has been stabbed by good. And the court found out that the girl was lying. But still, this didn't do anything to the trial. Despite that they found out that the girl didn't lie to the court. Mm. Still, Sarah was believed to be a woman in the trial that received the most suspicion and less defense. So when she was executed, Good didn't show remorse. And she actually cursed Nicholas Noyes, the minister who was trying to get the confession out of her. She said to him, you are a liar. I'm no more a witch than you, a wizard. And if you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. And the interesting part here is that her curse became 
actually true, and Noyes died from internal hemorrhage, bleeding from his mouth. Oh my god. And in 1711, William Goode received one of the biggest compensations from the government. It was believed that he received this amount of money because he had connection with the Putnam family. Mm. Dorothy was released of prison in a few months, but her father said that she's permanently damaged yeah. and that she was useful for nothing. Mm. And some historical records stated that she has become completely insane. And the thing about this case was that she was considered a witch because of her appearance. Because when you're a homeless person, you have mm. like no one to defend you. Mm. And she was like such an easy victim of the trials. And the fact that you have a mole doesn't mean that you're a witch. Mm -mm. And her daughter was also responsible for her imprisonment. But this was a forced manipulation of her actual evidence. So yeah, it, it's an awful case. She never mm. really had anyone throughout her whole life. She was alone throughout when she was homeless and then her own family turned against her. That's actually a correlation between Bridget Bishop as well. You yeah. know, her own family turned against her. The trend. Yeah, it seems you can't really trust anyone in Salem Village at the time. Yeah, but the thing is that here you have also Dorothy, who is like another victim. Yeah, she didn't die, she wasn't hanged, but she was four years old and she was permanently damaged for the rest oh. of her life. She was chained, mm. chained with chains. How like can they do that to a four-year-old? Four-year-old. Must have been really paranoid the to chain a four-year-old. Yeah, the thing is that because you don't have any clean clothes and you look like a homeless person you don't have any defense and no one will believe you that you are actually and she was actually accused by tituba i don't know if you have heard about her i think, I think so her name uh yeah she was accused i think of which tituba the was that the slave of someone yeah she was african-american slave yeah, for, from okay. barbados yeah she was a reverence paris slave mm -hmm. and she accused sarah good and sarah osborne actually tituba wasn't hanged which was super interesting yeah. because sarah osborne and sarah good were hanged but tituba the one who accused them was not i think it's interesting also like with race kind of like back then that they believed like a minority over these two like white women i feel like that's kind of interesting it's with the times because obviously slavery was a thing then i think it was actually because Tituba actually confessed to being a witch that she was unhanged immediately so when the trials were cancelled they set her free so i think that was the reason not uh, any like race yeah. or something like that i believe that it was because she confessed Something that's interesting, though, is that a lot of people confess just to not yeah. be hung. But some of them, like, in the end, were just executed. Uh. They thought it was the easy way, you know, go with what the court wanted to hear. But a lot of them were just hung in the end. Yeah, but I don't understand, like, okay, you hang people, but then the girls are going to accuse someone else. Yeah, then you have yeah this, never ending. The whole Salem town executed and hanged by mm. the words of a group of girls mm. that were clearly not in the right mind as well if we think they were witches the people that were hanged however the girls we see in this case that one of the girls lied yeah. that she was heard by uh, Sarah Good when this was not true and the court found out about that and they didn't even second guess about uh, like executing her so now we are going to move to Caitlin, uh, who is going to talk to us about one of the most interesting and most painful to hear victims about Rebecca Nurse. This was definitely one of the bigger 
tragedy obviously these are all horrible cases but i feel like this one's kind of worse just because of how old she was and how like oh you're guilty like straight away type thing she was born in 1621 in greater yarmouth in england so she of course like the other women spoke of in this podcast she was a victim of the 1692 salem witch trials she was also accused with a large chunk of her family which included Mary Esty and Sarah Klaus, which were her two sisters, and her mother, Joanna Blessing Town, she was also accused. So kind of a family thing, I guess. So Rebecca's family immigrated from England to the Massachusetts Bay Colony sometime between 1638 and 1640. Rebecca then married Francis Nurse in 1640 and raised a family of eight in Salem Village. So around 50 years later, on March 24th in 1692, Nurse was arrested. She was 71 years old. This makes her one of the first unlikely witches to be accused, just because of how older she was. And she was like a good Christian woman as well. So this came as a huge surprise to citizens of Salem, as she was such an honorable and respectable um, person. She was accused of witchcraft by... Anne Putnam Jr. Her mother, also Anne Putnam. Thomas Putnam was, he was a really wealthy man. He was a big wealthy member of the Salem community and he was responsible for accusing over 40 people of witchcraft. His daughter Anne accused 62 people. He's featured in The Crucible and he's looked to witchcraft as the reasoning behind why his wife lost seven children in stillbirth. So that's kind of why I guess his wife accused Rebecca of witchcraft. So his wife, Anne, she's very fixated on the loss of her babies, and she becomes obsessed with this unfortunate event. So she eventually accuses Rebecca Nurse of witchcraft as she Rebecca's given birth to eight healthy children. So Anne sees this as, oh, you're a witch, I guess, because you've had all these healthy children, and I've had seven children that did not make it through birth. Anne's loss eventually caused her to kill an innocent older woman, Rebecca. She's hysterical and reckless with her accusations, which were taken very seriously in this era. Anne's daughter, also called Anne, was featured in the play The Crucible, but her character was Ruth. I guess having the two Anne names was confusing for the readers. In the story, Ruth was forced to accuse people of witchcraft, including that of Rebecca Nurse by her father, as her father wanted to obtain the seized land of the convicted witches, which is kind of why Ruth's father made her, like, accuse people. So the Putnam family was mainly behind the accusations between Nurse along with Anne Putnam Sr. saying that she saw Nurse's spirits tormenting her and her home. So some historians believe that Nurse was falsely accused by the Putnam family due to like these land disputes. All of Nurse's accusers were either members of the Putnam family or friends of the Putnam family. So Nurse's numerous accusers testified that she regularly appeared at their homes in spirit form to torment and attack them, which Nurse denied all of these accusations. She stayed innocent throughout the whole trial. She never pleaded guilty. So she stated during her examination on March 24th that I could say before my internal father, I'm innocent and God will clear my innocency. The Lord knows I have not hurt them. I am an innocent person. Despite Nurse being found not guilty by the jury at her trial in June of 1692, as Nurse was such a respected, again, member of this community, it wasn't very believable that she would engage in witchcraft. However, the jury eventually changed their minds. They were like, no. Even though we said that you're you're innocent, now we think you're guilty. Basically, just because after the jury said that we found her innocent, the girls 
that were in the court, they they started having like these fits in the court because like her spirit attacked them, I guess. So then the jury was like, yeah, she's like guilty. Sadly, nurse ended up being hanged at Proctor's Ledge in July 19th, 1692. She was executed along with Sarah Good and Elizabeth Howell. According to the book Women in Early America, nurse's conviction and execution marked the beginning of the end of the Salem witch trials. So citizens of Salem began to have doubts that such a respectable and honorable woman like Rebecca could have been involved in witchcraft. So this made the community begin to think about if other accused witches that were executed were in fact innocents. This was kind of the beginning of the end of the whole hysteria. So Rebecca Nurse's family ended up getting compensation for this. It was only 25 pounds. So I tried to calculate it and I feel like it was only like 4,000 pounds in today's money. So that's kind of not, that's not enough for you know, killing an innocent woman. Yeah, so in 1711, the Massachusetts legislative passed the bill restoring some of the names of the Salem witch trials. This included Rebecca Nurse. Yeah, so that's pretty much Rebecca's story. Obviously very tragic that she, like, she was 71 when they killed her. Basically for no reason that she, basically just because she had healthy children, I assume. Uh, I feel like it was mainly over the land disputes. Like if, if you were accused of witchcraft, I think your land would get taken away or something. So then this family could, you know, come in and I guess buy it or something like that. So I feel like maybe that's why, but you know, she was like, she was an old lady. <laughs> so it wasn't just to do with witchcraft. If you think about it, it was also yeah. to do with the power, yeah. the power structures taking over the weaker ones. Yeah, I believe that Rebecca's case was like the most emotional and the most, like one of the worst, despite her being of age. I believe that personally for me, her story was the worst because she was a really honorable woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who had raised healthy kids. And she was like a, a de- she was a devout Catholic woman. Like she wouldn't believe in witchcraft or she didn't even believe in witchcraft. So it's like, oh, now they're accusing her of it. A lot of it was jealousy, I bet, as well. That yeah. she had healthy children. Yeah, I feel like that's definitely definitely why she had all these, you know, eight children and then even though the Putnam family did have a lot of children, I guess just like the tragedy of losing so many of your children like giving birth to pretty much like these mm. children that have passed away. I believe that they wanted the land also like that's why they were against so many people because they wanted their land. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though they had like this big land, they wanted more to expand it. So that yeah. was also like again, money. Is yeah, they wanted to be uh, like the most powerful family in the community. Yeah, we can make a parallel in nowadays like the yeah. hysteria for example over COVID. Yeah, that's and true. like the money that the healthcare systems received, like so much money in order for them to gain, and power structures being like with the most benefits. So I believe that that can be like a parallel between the two. Like the hysteria in Salem happened like in 2020 f- globally, not only in Salem. <laughs> Some other thoughts on Rebecca Nurse? I just also think like the compensation that the family got was like nothing like it said only 25 pounds like 
I don't know. We don't really know how much that would be today, but it's not like it's like millions. But like back in the 1600s, I suppose a pound was considered a lot. But as you said, it's not enough yeah. to compensate, you know, their, their yeah. mother dying. Like, I think it was so soon after too, like 1711 and what she got executed in 1692. So that's like such a small gap for them to be like, oh, yeah, we actually did wrong. Like it didn't even take them a long time to notice it. So it's like, why do it in the first place? What about uh, Rebecca's husband? Do we know anything about him? Like, did he receive the conversation or like, because he, he was of age, most probably. Yeah, I think it was pretty much just her family. He wasn't really involved in it. I, he, I know he stood beside her the whole time. Like, he didn't convict her of anything, but... At least she has someone to trust. Yeah. You know, Bridget Bishop and Sarah Good didn't. Yeah, he was with her 100%, but... Obviously, that wasn't enough. So, now we're going to talk to the third victim that was hanged on July 19th. Her name is Elizabeth Howe. Caitlin just mentioned her like a few minutes ago. So, Elizabeth Howe was a really interesting case, in my opinion, because she's a lot like Rebecca Nurse, I believe. However, there were evidences against her. I'm going to talk about it. But I still believe that she was a good woman with the wrong fate. A lot of them were. Yeah. And so Elizabeth Howe was born around 1635. And she was originally from England, just like Bridget Bishop. She was born in Rowley in Yorkshire. But she and her family, the Jacksons, and other residents moved to Rowley in Massachusetts. So she wasn't originally from Salem. And Rowley was just a little bit, uh, again, the coastal bay, really close to Salem. But she came from a really, a really good family. They owned a house lot with uh, one and a half acres of lands. And her father became a farmer. And by 1652, he owned 12 acres of land in the area, so he really did expand his land. So in 1658, Elizabeth married James Howe, and they had six children together, six healthy children. Uh, the family lived in Topsfield, in an area known as Ipswich Farms, but they had hard times as James became blind at the age of 50. Sudden disability, it was like really hard for the family to cope, and for Elizabeth the most because she had to take care of her husband, mm -hmm. her children, and the whole estate to take care of that. And she was a Puritan housewife, but she actually took on responsibilities that at that time were not expected from her. And she like she made it clear to all people that she's a strong, independent, and steady woman. So the tragedy in her life was because a family feud revenge and because of she was a strong woman actually Frightened she them. received a lot of jealousy for that mm. people envied her for that and of course religion and superstition played a huge role in her execution so here we have a really important family they're called the Purleys, samuel and ruth they're the house family neighbors and they were actually family connected with how because i think ruth's brother married Elizabeth's sister, Deborah. So they actually had like family connections, but they still had an ongoing feud for years. Mm. So in 1682, 10 years before the execution, the Purley's 10-year-old daughter, Hannah, she's really important, keep her in mind, 
experienced episodes and she said she was pricked by pins which were Elizabeth doing. So basically that her spirits went and pricked her. Yeah, so the child was examined by several doctors and one of them told him that an evil span was overtaking the child. In the trial, the reverend of Rowley testified that Hannah was screaming that how is a witch. And she said, I think, I'm trying to quote, that she can't afflict a dog as much as Goody Howe afflicts her. I think that's what she meant, at least. So the child unfortunately passed away as her condition continued for two to three years and the girl actually peeled her skin off. That led to her death. The feud between the families was ongoing for years and Elizabeth had a great reputation in the community. And when the parties accused her of bewitching their daughter, Elizabeth was banned from the church. And as I mentioned, she was extremely religious and that was a real, a real punishment for a woman being like banned from church. So in 1962, an arrest warrant for Elizabeth was issued. This happened on May 29th, and she was accused by the afflicted girls in Salem. That means Abigail Williams. She's accusing uh, everyone. Putnam, mm. um, who else? There were Mary Warren, I think. So it was believed that how afflicted all of these girls... Mercy Lewis, Mary Walcott, Anne Putnam, Abigail Williams, and Mary Warren. That were These were the exact girls that accused Elizabeth. So Mary Walcott and Abigail Williams stated that Howe actually heard them that same month multiple times. Howe was indicted on two charges of witchcraft against Mercy Lewis and Mary Walcott. Howe's husband and daughters actually visited Elizabeth multiple times in Charles W. Upham's book about the witchcrafts, he stated that James' travel to see his wife was very difficult as the farm they lived on was unreachable. Uh, so James and his daughters arrived on horseback and as he was blind, it was really, really difficult for mm. them. One of the daughters actually tried to convince even the governor, but with no luck. So I'm going to give you here a quote that I really believe that was emotional and really significant the sight of these young women leading their blind father to comfort and provide for their honored mother as innocent as they declare her to be of the crime charged as any person in the words so fame of faithful and constant in their filial love and duty relieve the horrors of the scene and in order to be held in per perpetual remembrance the shame of that day is not and will not be forgotten Neither should its beauty and glory. Mm. I really like this. Mm. So on June 29th, old rivals and neighbors came to testify against Elizabeth. This included the whole Pearly family. Samuel testified how house, uh, how bewitched his diseased daughter. He also said that after his involvement in house rejection in the church, his cow became mad and drowned itself. What? Yeah, the cow went and drowned itself. Because Elizabeth told it <laughs> That's so. That's so random. <laughs> so, here I found something so interesting. That Deborah Purley also claimed that her cows were bewitched and they stopped giving milk. But in the beginning of this case, I told you that Deborah was actually Elizabeth's sister mm. that married Ruth's brother, the bewitched child's mother then. So, that's super strange that that means... If I got the names right, that, that means that Elizabeth's sister literally betrayed her. 
a lot of family betrayal going on. Like literally, yeah. Every and here we are talking about cows and farm animals. Like what? I know. So, however, there were people that came in the defense of Elizabeth Howe. So, Reverend Samuel Phillips testified that he had conversation with Hannah in which she said that Howe never hurt her in any way and it was Hannah's brother that was trying to force her to say that Elizabeth is a witch, which means that another manipulation of a child. Mm. And another witness confirmed that he was there when that happened, the moment when Hannah actually told that Elizabeth was not guilty of being a witch. So the Cummings family was another family that also testified against Elizabeth and they said that she bewitched their horse. I mean, come on. Um, animals, horses, cows. Oh no, we are not uh, <laughs> not finished. Done. No, no, we are not. Elizabeth's <laughs> brother-in-law, John Howe. That means that that's the brother of her beloved James testified against her that she had bewitched his pig. Oh, I, I saw that coming. The face. And there were multiple accusations against her about the pig. And her brother-in-law actually never visited during the time of prison. Maybe of shame or he said that it's because she bewitched his pig, but I don't know. So after all testimony, Elizabeth was sentenced to be executed on July 19th. The same day Sarah Good was hanged and Sarah Osborne. She was not allowed a Christian burial despite her coming from a pious family, which was quite cruel, to be honest. And in 1710, Elizabeth's daughters asked for compensation, which was granted after the name names of the victims were clear mm-hmm. i think that that compensation by memory i'm telling you it was 12 pounds which mm-hmm. by your calculations means that it's like three thousand something like that yeah. yeah not a lot that's the story of elizabeth howe and her hanging find it crazy that they were all hung like within a really similar time frame or it was all like within a year the whole like instance (laughs) like mass murder it literally is yeah it's awful and i think that elizabeth was a really good woman yes but she was religious as well yeah and her husband like had this sudden disability and she was able to like keep up with everything that was happening and for her strong character she got hanged basically how could the town especially because it was a really small village, do that to her children. Like, the husband was blind, she was hung. But that's really sad. And Yeah, and Reverence said that Hannah told them that Elizabeth was not guilty of being a witch, that she didn't hurt her in any way, and that her brother forced her to say that she's a witch and nothing happened. That wasn't important. It was just other people's, you know, tiny sensational accusations mm. that really pushed it it's forward. Just, how mm-hmm. are you so blind? I mean, her husband was actually blind, but these people were mm-hmm. blind on purpose. Yeah. They closed their eyes so that she can be hanged. There's a lot of political, religious, local factors. However, Elizabeth Howe, it's important to mention, was not part of the crucible. She was not a girl of Salem, so I think that was a factor that she wasn't mentioned. But she went with her family to Rowley, and then she moved to Topsfield, which is another town nearby in the Ipswich Farms. So, now guys, we are going to move to our last victim, Annabelle, please. Another victim of the Salem witch trials was Samuel Wardwell. 
He was actually one of the six men convicted and executed. So it wasn't just women that were accused of witchcraft. So I thought it was really important to touch on one of the men Mm -hmm. that were executed. So he was born in May 1643 in Boston, Massachusetts. There's a bit more information to be found on Samuel's early life. So as a young teenager, he did an apprenticeship in carpentry. And when he finished the apprenticeship in 1664, he was 21 and he moved to Salem at that point. And there he met and married a young woman who we don't know the name of, but they had a son together. And she, however, unfortunately died. And Samuel and his son moved to Andover, Massachusetts. And there he met his second wife called Sarah Hooper Hawks. She was also a widow. And like Samuel, also had a child from her previous marriage and they went on together to have seven children so they had a really big family like a lot of the other victims Mm -hmm. you know had loads of children and they lived on a really large farm together in Andover and as for Samuel himself he was actually regarded by his friends and his family as rather an eccentric character you know he sometimes told fortunes he played with magic and at one point you know this interest in magic it was thought to be harmless but this was a point where witchcraft wasn't really you know it wasn't really thought of it before 1692 and at the point of 1692 when the Salem witch trials began he attracted the attention of locals who accused him of witchcraft and said that the fortunes he told turned out to be true So, you know, these are probably the people who enjoyed his magic and enjoyed him telling fortunes that were the ones to accuse him. They were quick to jump on anyone and accuse them of witchcraft. And these were also the people that later testified against him in the trial. And because of this, he was arrested on charges of witchcraft and he was imprisoned in Salem town. So it's crazy how a normal person having normal interests that a lot of us have today can be caught up in such hysteria. You know, literally be hung because they like because of their interests in magic and telling fortunes. Yeah. And Samuel himself wasn't just accused; it was also his wife Sarah and one of his children, his daughter Mercy. Yeah, these sensational accusations ruined a family, and his other children were left to fend for themselves. So all three of them. Sarah, Samuel and Mercy, they actually confessed to witchcraft in their trial. Um, Samuel Wardwell told the court that he had signed a pact with the devil at the time. He was unhappy with his life. He signed the devil's book. Um, He was baptised by the devil in a river. It's not clear why he did this, but I think he did this. Actually, I thought that when you confess, like what Dituba did in the beginning of the trials, that if you confess... You won't be hanged. I thought that 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 was a thing. However, if that's a thing, why did Samuel... Why was he executed? Yeah, I think they just did it anyway. Yeah, but... (laughs) That's why he tried... That's a little bit extreme that he signed uh, and he was baptized. He said he was baptized by the devil in a river. But do you believe that he is actually guilty? No, I don't. I genuinely think that he only confessed um, in an attempt to save his life and told the court what they wanted to hear because it was, as you said, it was only really the people who refused to confess how executed and the people who confessed lived. They weren't really hung. But this wasn't enough to save his life and he was called for an execution. So as you said, that was it's unlikely. Wow, wow, wow. wow. And realising that he was going to be hung anyway, he attempted to retract his confession. So he took it all back. He protested his innocence. Mm -hmm. And I think he did this because he wanted to die in truth. 
I mean, why wouldn't you if you're yeah. going to be hung anyway? Yeah. I'd want to tell the truth in the end. So he was hung on September 22nd, 1692 at Proctor's Ledge at Gallows Hill. And his body was ruthlessly placed in a nearby rock crevice. So he was a good person and his body was just, you know, he had a really horrible death. So eventually his wife, Sarah, she wasn't killed. She was imprisoned and she was released. She also confessed. She confessed to witchcraft, but she lived and he didn't. So I wonder why that was. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe like picking and choosing, but I don't know. Maybe Samuel had more people that testified against him. I'm not sure. But in 1712, after Sarah died, one of their sons called Samuel Wardwell Jr., um, he sued the colony of Massachusetts mm. and he did win some compensation for the family's ordeals. It's not said how much exactly, but I'm sure it was similar yeah. to like Rebecca Nurses yeah. um, and Elizabeth Howes. Um, so, yeah, what do you think? Do you think that his conviction was an injustice to the family, especially how Sarah lived and he didn't? What do you think? In my opinion, it wasn't like that deep. Like they just went and hanged and executed innocent people. And like, for example, Tituba, a Barbados slave, uh, lived mm. afterwards. However, people who confessed, people who were part of that religious community were hanged. I think that in some way it was just a random principle to like, yeah. uh, introduce this fear and hy- hysteria in the, the town and like the area around and the whole state, to be honest. Mm. It's like picking and choosing who gets to yeah. live. And also because all of this stemmed from Samuel liking to tell fortunes and liking magic. You know, and I bet a lot of people, the people who testified against him actually enjoyed his fortune telling in the beginning. Yeah. So people are so quick to turn on people in their yeah. own village. Basically, yes. So, this was our last victim for today. We didn't mention all the 19 people that were hanged in the trials. We decided to do our own choosing of which one to cover. However, we have one last point, which we are going to make quick. And it's about the book and the movie The Crossable by Arthur Miller, which I think was a really good representation of putting yourself in the shoes of the victims. And however, that wasn't the purpose. It was like a context of the book is that it was about like the hysteria in the 50s when uh, Senator McCarthy was accusing communists. And then this chaos became in the U.S. of people becoming uh, communists. And it's important for the context of the Cold War. However, I believe that, for example, John Proctor's role in the Crucible and this portrait of a victim was a really powerful one and when you look at Rebecca Nurse for example you see like an old defendless woman which like really awakens your how do you say compassion for her yeah like your eyes open your yeah I believe that it was a really powerful movie and I think it was a really good representation of what the town looked like and what the people were also showed you know they all had children they all had wives they all had husbands and they were all just swept up in this you know sudden hysteria and you know when it ended in 1693 you know 2019 was it 19 or 20 people died 19 I think. 19 were hanged and i think one more person was like brought to death by like um 
I think he was covered with stones and rocks until he passed away. My God. As far as I know, the trials ended when like there was going to be a mass murder if they, if they continued to accuse people of witchcraft. However, in the crucible, like you see that the people, the Salem uh, people that were accused of being witches were actually the victims and that the group of girls like Abigail Williams, Betty Paris, Mary Warren, mm. uh, they were girls that were actually the villains in the story. It mm. wasn't the government as so. Yeah, I was like... They were quick to point the fingers. Yes, and we see like this portrayal of like what the girls and what their role in the trials was. And you know, I found really interesting that Abigail Williams in The Crucible was the main villain of the story yeah, because of the affair with John Proctor. Yeah. However, it's historically accurate that she vanished after the trials mm. because her name was like, she didn't have a name anymore in the town. Mm. Yeah. At least a good she name. She literally accused like, everyone. And she, we don't know what happened actually. Even in that times, I think it's an act of a guilty conscience. Yeah. The trials also ended just because the governor of Salem's own wife was accused of witchcraft. So again, that huh. also shows the power structure. Like as soon as it came close to home for him, he was quick to shut yeah. the trials down. Yeah, exactly. So thank you all for listening. We will be back next week with our new surprising episode. And you're going to find out about the topic in our next TikTok video. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.